Welcome to Still Scared, Talking Children's Horror. I'm your co-host, Adam Wybray, along with your other co-host, Ren Wednesday. And in this episode, we'll be going over why we started a podcast in the first place, as well as recapping the four podcasts we've delivered so far, just so everyone can catch up to speed at the beginning of 2018. The opening theme music is by Maki Yamazaki, and the end theme by Joe Kelly, with artwork by Letty Wilson. Do enjoy! So I thought this episode, I thought we could just do like a kind of mini episode catch up, maybe some general chat uh, as a kind of fill in one um, over the uh, Christmas New Year period before we get into a, a new topic. Yeah, it's one if you've gorged yourself to bloatation on Christmas food, you can sit back and uh, listen to us casually sum up well, the podcasts thus far, and have a bit of a chat about children's horror. Um, hopefully not too much the horrors of the year. Uh, this yes. is intended to distract from all of <laughs> Yeah, this is, um, this is an escape. Um, Palliative, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, because we, we didn't really... Um, we sort of just launched into it and didn't really do any general... Why are we here? What are we doing? Chat at the beginning. So that's a good point, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe, maybe I, I sort of worked on the assumption that everyone had so many things that scared them as a, a as a child. For <laughs> <laughs> such a podcast, you know, the necessity spoke spoke for itself. But, yeah, um, I mean, I don't know if everyone everyone lives with such um, <laughs> memories of of childhood horror as we do yeah it's hard to know how historically specific it is right because sometimes mm. i do think that growing up as a kid in the early 90s was a particularly um fertile period for children's horror mm. um that you had these slightly uneasy programs on kids tv like the demon head master and you had this rise in young adult fiction. Um, but then, you know, the 70s was also known for things like Children of the Stones, etc. Mm. Um, more sort of fantasy, but still quite troubling in its own way. And I've recently uh, read The Water Babies. Which, oh, you read it? <laughs> oh, God, I read it. It's the most horrific thing I've ever read. Like, <laughs> yeah. It was horrible. Like, literally every time a child's introduced, they just die. And it's like, oh, don't worry, they aren't really dead. They're like a water baby or flew off somewhere. I don't know. What <laughs> <laughs> mm. um, so, you know, we didn't have it as bad as Victorian kids, clearly. We've all been <laughs> stories about dying chimney sweeps and men with shock hair that cut off your thumbs and all oh, the rest yeah. of it. <laughs> I was wondering if we might do uh, cautionary tales. 
at some point. Well, it would allow us to do the title of these uh, <laughs> version of it as well. Which nice. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> so what inspired you? I mean, we sort of, like, often seems to happen when we work on projects together. Uh, you know, one of us comes up with an idea and then the other one, and we sort of come together on some on some kind of shared interest. You sort of suggested doing something about kind of childhood. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't... I was. I think I was thinking of things that we've watched together and um, things that we've talked about. Um, and <laughs> things we've developed in jokes, I <laughs> Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> I mean, that would have been the. I know you also suggested doing one on on British comedy or nineties comedy, but the yeah. problem is obviously that would just be us making Lee and Herring references. <laughs> we do enough I mean, of those already. So. I know. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've been quite good at not doing too many uh, Tuamrundra in jokes. Yeah, yeah. I tried. I tried to watch myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. But so, then I, I did um, because this because I as I I mentioned I sort of was kind of inspired to do a podcast after going to talks at Nine Worlds, um, which happens every year in London. Um, and um, I'd been to a talk at the previous Nine Worlds um, by Vanessa Thompson, which was about children's horror. Um, and um, I was so excited to see this on the schedule. And I like, it was like the one thing that I like absolutely wanted to go to. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and it was really good. Um, and inevitably, I've actually forgotten all of the <laughs> interesting and insightful comments that she made. Um, but she talked about uh, Coraline and the witches and um, a few other things, um, sort of, and about the childhood fears and how they come through in these in these films. And super interesting. <laughs> I mean, about the witches is definitely one that really scared me as a child, and mm. I think it's interesting for me. I don't know how common this is because I say I was diagnosed with OCD really young, um, mm. like at least twelve, maybe earlier, and so sometimes I don't know whether something is typical or you know just kind of characteristic of OCD. I'm not sure, but for me, often. The things I associated with giving me fear or anxiety, the objects themselves seem to have an almost unholy charge to them. So mm -hmm. I remember going around to a friend's house or a family friend's and the witches being on their bookshelf. And I remember, <laughs> you know, wanting to take it out and put it in a different room. I didn't even want to sleep in the same room as that book. Um, yeah. It almost felt like the book itself, you know, had in it. It was like the Necronomicon or something that had this... Uh, kind of charged power or aura of evil or, or, or danger about it. Oh yeah, I mean, I was very scared of um, scared of the boiler. The boiler in the house had um, a sticker on it that um, said "sacrificial anode." <laughs> 
I don't know what that means. <laughs> I still don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't think you want to know what no, that means. No, but I, I thought it was. I thought it was going to kill me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I, don't, I mean, if you're comfortable in delving more into this, <laughs> like, did you imagine it having an inner life? Like, did you think it had some kind of malevolent design on you? I'm not sure how much I believed it, or if I just made up a story that scared me, and then <laughs> I was scared of the boiler. But I, I was scared of its sacrificial intentions, um, <laughs> whatever they were. <laughs> so did, did you feel that the boiler itself had the sacrificial intentions, or that the boiler was a means through it, you know, that, that, that it was being used in some kind of sacrifice? Like, did, did you think that the boiler was um, some part of a ritual? Or the yeah, I think, I think that, was more, that was more what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, that the boiler was some sort of arcane instrument in a sacrificial ritual. Or like an, an, an altar or an altarpiece or something. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's quite interesting you say that because I also um, used the boiler um, to induce horror in my in, in my siblings in in a, in a in a playful sense, but I used to when uh, Leon was young, in particular, I used to kind of make theme parks around the house. So like the mm -hmm. the stairs would be a slide. Like sometimes I put a mattress on the stairs, that would be the slide, and then there'd be one room which would be the roller coaster, which would generally be a kind of extreme piggyback ride, lots of twirling <laughs> round, um, of things. Um, but I remember I used to reserve the bathroom for a kind of interactive uh well not ghost train but a sort of story experience so they'd sit on the toilet with the toilet seat down you know um mm. and basically uh they'd either have to close their eyes or probably put a towel over their heads and then i'd narrate some kind of scary story and it was meant to be a bit like those games you play at halloween where you have to put a blindfold on and then touch things like they say oh these are the old crone's eyeballs and then you touch mm -hmm. the, the peeled grapes for instance so you know i do that with like shower gel and other <laughs> things that are in the bathroom but my most effective one um was it was some kind of bizarre goosebumps inspired time travel narrative um and you ended up seeing like one of your ancestors and then you saw their decayed corpse or something but uh, we'd got these masks for christmas these sort of plastic masks which are just sort of animal masks like, there were plastic spectacles with, like, a nose piece. Um, and they weren't that scary, except for if you turned them inside out, so you just saw <laughs> <laughs> saw the fleshy rubber, and then they looked horrible. So, <laughs> me and they were a great fun. Daddy's inside out. And so I dressed up the boiler in one of my mum's dresses um, with this inside-out animal mask, and then at the end of the story, I flew open the uh, <laughs> closet door and whipped the towel off their head and, you know, they were confronted with this terrible monstrosity, um, this dressed-up, uh, <laughs> decayed monkey corpse boiler monster thing. Um, and I, I, I remember it made, it made my brother scream, so, uh, you know, it must have had, it must have had, you know... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so kind of, I guess, like, when you're a kid, um, you don't so much know exactly what's possible and what's not possible. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I think that's why the witches scared me. The witches, it was particularly the opening chapter when the sort of various historic witches are described and the mm. things they do to different children. Um, like with Goosebumps, I definitely did read some of the Goosebumps books, but some of them I remember I got out from the library and never actually dared read them. The, just the, the names and the covers, you know, were enough. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> I, I could never bring myself to read um, Say Cheese or Die. Yeah, because they look it, too scary. I think it might. I might. I think I bailed on that one. I think I started it, but I think the idea was too upsetting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that is a particularly. So that's the one, right, with the the camera that shows you know who's going to die, like the future, right? Like you get uh, the photo yeah. back and you see dead people, which is horrifying, um, <laughs> and also kind of similar to my recurring childhood nightmare. Oh, in a way, which yeah. <laughs> I'm just re- revealing all my weird childhood fears. Um, but um, yeah, I had this nightmare about um, about a red pen that um, drew the red pen drew on people or things and transformed them into other people or things or transformed them in some horrible way. It was very scary. <laughs> so, like, would it like kill the people or transform them into monsters? Or yeah, sort of transform them into monsters. Um... <laughs> a particularly vivid nightmare has just come back to me, guys. It's the closest to a therapy session our podcast has come yet. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, in which I woke up, and I think it might have been influenced by um, The Dark is Rising, of which I'd heard a radio adaptation. So there used to be Mm. children's radio. I don't know if it was an hour or half hour. I think it was from perhaps six to half six on Sundays, which I used to listen to on Radio 4. And there was a Dark is Rising adaptation, and my memory of how the first book begins, and I might be wrong, um, we might look at it later on in the (laughs) series, um, Generally, my issues with sleep were more that um, not so much fear of nightmares. I mean, you know, I definitely remember being very worried about, you know, seeing a monster at the end of the bed, that kind of thing. But I was very worried about not being able to wake up again or even not being able to sleep again. That very much scared me as a kid, this idea. Mm. Um, And I think it all stemmed, you know, I was very literal as a child. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I take things very literally. So, like, for instance... One thing that my mum said to me, and, you know, bless her, I'm sure it wasn't intentional. Um, she said, uh, if you don't get to sleep, you won't be able to move in the morning. Or she might or she might have said you won't be able to get up in the morning. Um, yeah. But whatever it was, basically, I took it as meaning that I would be frozen in bed, effectively. That yeah. I wouldn't be able to move my limbs and that if I didn't get sleep, I, I'd be in this sort of... <laughs> locked in syndrome essentially um Uh, and and this for a good year i think or quite a long time terrified me before i i dared raise up the topic with my mum so i'd obviously get very worried about not being able to get to sleep which in turn would mean i couldn't sleep so should we have a sort of brief kind of recap of Mm. I, i try to think of some different categories um for us to you know just have a look over our last our last yeah. few podcasts since we started. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what would you say is the scariest thing that we've either watched or read? Um, the Haunting of Eliza Burkery. Yeah, that seems like <laughs> a clear answer, right? <laughs> yeah, that's um, 
<laughs> it's really yeah, very. <laughs> it's going for it on lots of levels. Um, yeah, there is obviously lots of horror. <laughs> yeah, it's rooted in fantastical horror. Yeah, there's a lot of very grimy real life horror in there too. Yep, and, and I think it's so closely aligned with its characters' perspectives. You really feel the danger they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are just some flat-out revolting descriptions. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I say scariest moment, then that's probably also going to be from Eliza Bell, right? <laughs> um, yeah. The just, just the 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 witchkin. Um, I mean, the the one that that shriveled the beggar into um, advanced decay in a moment of seconds was uh, just really grim. Jim Lee Potter, master pickpocket at the age of 12, street urchin in the employ of Pete the Knife. He slept twitching in his cot in an empty warehouse, along with six other boys his age, who formed the rest of Pete's gang. It wasn't a bad life, stealing other people's purses, keeping a bit and giving the rest to old Pete. Apart from the occupational hazard of being hung, it was really quite rewarding. It was of the hangman's noose that he dreamed now, a gallows standing alone on the Yorkshire moors, the rope swinging steadily. He often dreamed of the noose, but he never remembered, just as he would not remember this one, which was remarkable because of a new element in it. There was a small child standing by the gallows, a little girl wearing a black funeral dress and a black cloak with a hood set halfway back on her head. He could see she was entirely bald. Her eyes were downturned at first, but when they looked up at him, he could see that her irises were red as blood and her face was as cold as the grave. He awoke as normal that morning, stretched and got up to have breakfast. It was only later that day that the crimson fever began to make itself felt. Do you think it, that's the one that would have scared you most as a kid as well? Um, well, the one that scared me most as a kid was... Uh, uh, was uh, Rawhead. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, think, behind you with his extra step. Yeah. I think everything that we've looked at so far, out of all of them, Return to Oz would have scared me most as a kid. Mm. I think now I just sort of enjoy it as a sort of phantasmagoric genre piece, but as a kid, like the the rows of screaming heads. Mm would have really upset me I think and also just that opening sequence mm -hmm. so uh, Return to Oz is set six months after The Wizard of Oz um, and we come back to Kansas and everything is not going very well at all obviously the house got destroyed in the hurricane and um, Uncle Henry is in kind of a funk and he isn't like building the new house as fast as he as he should be, and Aunt Em can't cope with all the farm chores, and Dorothy can't sleep, and she keeps telling people her stories of Oz, and they don't believe her. And like even Belina, the chicken, um, isn't laying eggs and is uh, being threatened with being cooked up. So it's fairly, it's a fairly bleak um, setup, and they're unable to work out what to do with Dorothy, and so they take her to a doctor for electric healing. <laughs> <laughs> what you need is a little electric healing. 
Um, I've written most problematic moment, but uh, I think there's an obvious answer to this one. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a clear winner of that one. <laughs> it's the box, Charles. I mean, it is just very transmisogynistic, which for people who don't know that word, it's uh, sort of the intersection of transphobia and misogyny that is levelled at trans women and trans feminine people. But it just encompasses a lot of these tropes of, yeah, of seeing femininity in a male character as, as you know, disgusting and whatever. So there's a scene where Eggs tries to show the crowd that Madame Fru-Fru is actually Archibald Snatcher by, like, removing his wig, which, um, which is actually, like, a very old transphobic mo- movie trope that's like goes back decades i don't think you have to read that much into it to have issues sadly with it Mm, no as it it goes which one would you be most keen to introduce children to so if you had access to many impressionable minds (laughs) um i do want to say return to arsa though that seems slightly cruel <laughs> um, I mean, maybe, I, the, maybe the Oz books <laughs> yeah but yeah the Oz books were a lot more charming than I expected um, I think um, I think if they could handle Return to Oz I think <laughs> that would be the one I think the demon headmaster would make them healthily suspicious of institutional power yes Yep. It's not, certainly not in the first book, very fantastical. And though the headmaster seems to have demonic aspects, it's never clearly established, um, you know, whether he's an alien or human or a demon, um, Mm. you know, quite, quite what he is. But his actual power of hypnosis is one clearly rooted in reality. And in fact, a lot of the means at his disposal as headmaster in the the first book and first three episodes of the TV series uh, are ones that an actual um, cruel or abusive headmaster would have. That um, Mm. the children get told off and, of course, when they go home to tell Dinah's mum what's been going on, um, she says to to the two brothers, to Harvey and Lloyd, you know, you're lying, you're making this up, you just got in trouble for bad behaviour, that's what the school told me. And, you know, this is entirely plausible. And I think yeah. it speaks to that terrible power disparity, which you feel quite keenly as a child, between yourself and, if not so much necessarily individual teachers, just the school as an institution, and, and between children and adults. And that fear that things might happen to you or might be done to you, and you might not be believed. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's that it's kind of that fear is heightened with the hypnosis, which means that they definitely won't be believed because all the other children have been hypnotised to repeat these rote phrases talking about how marvellous the headmaster is. Um, okay, um, shall we... Oh, shall we quickly talk about um, my favourite thing is monsters? Just, oh, brief- yeah. just briefly, because yeah. it's <laughs> so good. Um, just before we finish, I wanted to 
give a mention to my favourite, it's not a children's horror, but favourite horror thing, or one of my favourite things of the year, with a child protagonist, which is Emil Ferris's My Favourite Thing is Monsters, which is a remarkable graphic novel, uh, published yeah. by Fantagraphs. Yeah, it's uh, just astonishing. It's uh, it's just incredibly good. Um. <laughs> yeah, to the degree that um. I really hype up and do it justice, that it, I do feel a bit lost for words when confronted with it because you know it's it's a mammoth book for one thing um mm. i mean you read the digital edition didn't you which maybe feels a little less imposing because the actual book you know is huge yeah well i mean it it felt very long because i mean it is very long but also <laughs> i was reading it in um in the the guided view where it sort of takes you from panel to panel sort okay. of to, to read it Although there aren't really panels, and yeah. Stuff, so, so, how so it earth kind of <laughs> it, it just it kind of sometimes it shows you the whole page and then just zooms into bits so you can read the text. Okay. Stuff, but it, it sort of felt like this incredibly long guided tour through all these, all these uh, like hundreds and hundreds of drawings and little bits of text and dialogue and um, yeah. Uh, I'm, I mean, the book itself almost has a feel of a scrapbook, right? Mm. So it's um, got clippings and it's all drawn on lined, like, notebook paper. So it looks almost like a child's uh, exercise book. Um, mm. And as you say, it doesn't really adhere to the panel format. So it's this great sort of sprawling mass of images and ideas and annotations and... Um, some lovely, I mean, it's semi-autobiographical, um, and it's one of those semi-autobiographical things where you've got no idea reading it what on earth <laughs> is real and what, what what isn't, but that's sort of part of the intrigue and fun of it. Um, but it focuses on Karen, who um, believes herself to be a werewolf and wears a uh, detective's coat through a lot of the, uh, a lot of the story. And she lives in the neighbourhood of Chicago in the 1960s. So growing up where uh, Ferris grew up herself. And mm. her upstairs neighbour, who she's very close to, is murdered. And so she decides to set off on an investigation. And it's made up of recollections and um, drawings by her brother Dee's and reflections and also um presumably karen's uh drawings of the front covers of various horror magazines hmm and also like lots of um renditions of uh various artworks because they go to visit the art gallery um several times <laughs> throughout the, the course of the, the story um oh yeah and the the, te um, the technical chops on display really <laughs> yeah just um yeah just astonishingly good drawing um like someone on yeah. the so there was an article on it in the guardian with sadly very few comments and one of the comments was a very sort of dismissive oh you know the art doesn't look like anything special i was like what come on <laughs> you what mate <laughs> yeah pretty, that's pretty much my response like <laughs> Yeah, I, it's just, let's say, absolutely, and really, it's really warm, it's intimate, um, it's provocative, um, 
deeply intelligent um and but kind of pulls all this off with a real lightness of touch like it doesn't feel like reading some big heavy important novel um yeah it's fun um even (laughs) while it deals with very dark themes yeah um and i i definitely um (laughs) i definitely relate to um the uh idea of well i think um the author said in, in an interview that you know, she when she was growing up, like she didn't want to be a girl, like she didn't want to be a boy either. But she just didn't want all the things that came with being a girl or being a woman. You know, just wanted to be a monster. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> which um, I relate to in a in a non-binary way. Sort of, so. Yeah, I think yeah. the potential for the monster identity as an exciting and creative thing rather than just a horrible bad thing is really kind of usefully explored yeah and it's um and karen is sort of um realizing that she's queer as well so it's definitely that association of um, being queer and being an outsider and being a monster and but being a but being a monster in a in a good way <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's really really amazing so uh, I'd recommend it to anyone basically um, mm-hmm. and if you find it too cost prohibitive it's slightly less expensive digitally or um, ask your library to get a copy because you know every library should have this one it's amazing <laughs> yeah right well i i think our next episode is going to be well on the goosebumps obviously not all the goosebumps we're just going to be oh, yeah starting at... our our epic journey into the goosebumps so obviously this is going to be um an occasional thing we uh, <laughs> dip our yeah. toes into um because there is a lot of them Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, how many of them are written by R.L. Stein? It's hard to say, but uh, mm. I, I think the ones we're looking at do have the classic R.L. Stein feel to them. I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well. Okay, so. Um, happy. Keep it tw- spooky. <laughs> yeah. Happy 2017. Creepy kids. <laughs> Try not to be too scared by your boilers. (laughs) (laughs) I'll see you next time.